Rainmaker FM. And welcome back to the Writer Files. I'm still your host, Kelton Reed. Here to take you on another tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of renowned writers. And in part two of this file, the self-confessed serial entrepreneur, founder of Copyblogger, and CEO of Rainmaker Digital, Brian Clark, stopped by to rap with me about his journey to success, the evolution of blogging and content marketing, and his culpability for the existence of this very show. The inaugural guest of the Roger Files is a content marketing trailblazer who launched his one-man blog, copyblogger.com, in 2006. And with a modest investment, no audience and no connections, he slowly and steadily built it into a vital eight-figure business, one of the most popular and influential content marketing and writing blogs out there. He's considered a top marketing influencer on writing, a top 10 online marketing expert, and one of the 100 most influential online marketers. Brian's been featured in over 20 books, including Lynchpin by Seth Godin and Free Agent Nation by Daniel Pink. He's now the CEO of Rainmaker Digital, the digital commerce flagship behind Copyblogger, Studio Press, and Rainmaker Digital Services, to name only a few. Brian's also the curator of the personal development newsletter Further and Unemployable, a podcast resource for freelancers, consultants, and coaches, uh, as well as like-minded entrepreneurs. In part two of this file, Brian and I discuss his recent study of writing and technology, including automation and personalization, why all writers are somewhat crazy, great tricks for jumpstarting your productivity and beating procrastination, how Brian invented a deliberate writing style for Copyblogger, how Brian defines creativity and why you need to expose yourself to great stories, and the most important thing online content writers should study. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. Well, uh, okay, well, that brings us to um, what you are working on presently. Are you writing, you know, are you working on marketing stuff or are you working on a book or is it all kind of intertwined and you're, you know, putting it all together presently? Yeah, every, every time I think of writing a book, I end up giving it away for free. You know, I just, it's worked so well for me and for us. Um, and, and if I do write a book, it'll probably be something related to further, like something that has no value whatsoever <laughs> to, <laughs> to the main business. Because, I, you know, I have to, number one, I have to be, you know, just truly fascinated by something. And you've got to have the right hook or angle to, to where you're like, this is a book worth writing. I mean, you know, we know so many people, so many authors that are just kind of in the copy blogger orbit uh, that have written for us or friends of the company or whatever, that 
it doesn't seem special anymore. And I, I say that with all due respect to everyone who does the painful work of writing a book. I just am sitting here going, man, I would have to have like some magnificent idea, like something like the four hour work week, except, you know, credible. Um, <laughs> you know, cause I know Tim, <laughs> Tim's a workaholic and he knows it, you know, we've talked about that before, but it would have to be that, that was a, that was a monumental idea title that became his brand. Right. Uh, you know, it would have to be something like a Seth Godin book, you know, and I'm just so focused on, on what I'm doing that, uh, I haven't quite arrived at any, or I just could be too harsh of a critic. So who knows, but yeah, I'm writing, I'm modifying some materials that we used in 2014 and updating them, uh, for 2017 and beyond related to, our new agency arm, which is a hybrid services and technology uh, boutique that you mentioned, which is Rainmaker Digital Services. So I'm writing and researching a lot, getting heavily into uh, things that are related to writing from a technological standpoint, which I think are fascinating. Uh, Obviously, we went through a long run of automation being the big thing. Now we're moving into personalization, which I think is really an opportunity for writers to shine you know, it's like specificity and copywriting, except now you can change your message for every segment. Uh, and, and really, when you get down to it, every single person in your audience can have a different experience that feels like you're entering the conversation in their head personally. And that is the holy grail right there. So there's a lot of tech that generally scares off writer types, and I include <laughs> myself in that. So I figure, you know, just push myself to learn things that make me a little uncomfortable while pairing that with what I am comfortable with writing, even though are you suspicious of people who say, you know, like they love writing and, and it's easy because I am. I'm yes. like, are you, you're not doing it right if it feels that good. <laughs> right, right. Um, we love to read, but writing is a whole different ball game. Who likes to write? It's a pain in the ass. Um well, okay, so let's dig into your productivity um, briefly. And uh, so when you are digging your heels in and, and, and working on the important piece of writing for your multiple businesses, um, how much time are you spending per day doing research? And then how much time are you spending actually getting words onto the page? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh bring up Godin again, I asked him kind of that same question, like what's your writing process? And he said, I could tell you, but it'll sound so insane that it's of no value to anyone. <laughs> and I, and I, I feel the same way. I mean, I think all writers are somewhat crazy. And if you put a camera on one of us trying to do things, we would look like crazy people. Um, but other than that, it's generally you mentioned reading before. The more I read, the easier writing becomes. The ideas just, and it's hard sometimes to finish. I've got all these books that I've read three chapters of because somewhere in those first three chapters, yeah. I got an idea or even an answer that I was looking for or, or didn't know I was looking for. And it's not just business or marketing books I'm talking about. I'm talking about generally the best ideas come from outside the discipline, right? And that, that way you're able to make analogies and stuff like that. So when I find I get too busy and I'm not reading as much, my writing is much harder. Um, so that's my process, which is I've even started first thing in the morning, instead of going to the computer and 
doing whatever, uh, I'll just read a little bit and it tends to get me rolling. Um, and so it's like for when I write, you know, content for the company, this is expertise I've developed over 20 years. So I don't necessarily need outside sources to have my own, uh, you know, tactics and strategies and philosophies. And yet it's very helpful when you run across other people like Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose, uh, who do write books, uh, at the enterprise level. And a lot of these ideas are the same ideas that we live by, but seeing it in a different context with different examples, um, it's, it's really fascinating and helpful. So reading, uh, gets me excited to go start typing. And then I don't have a set word amount per day. I do write every day something. Um, for example, yesterday, I really was going to knock out a big chunk of what I've got to get done uh, for this current project, the new website and, and the, uh, the report or white paper, whatever you want to call it, that's going to uh, kind of power the thing. And I got some words down that sucked and I got frustrated. But today, later, when I pick up on that, I'm going, it's going to be a lot easier because there's something there. It's interesting because yeah. I'm not much of a just write something kind of guy. Generally, I work it through in my head. Uh, I've got a headline. I've got subheads. And then it becomes just almost like filling in the, the white space uh, because I know what each section, what point needs to be made at that point. Right. With, with this project, I'm, I'm, little, I'm struggling a little. Maybe it's because uh, we've been a product, uh, you know, we've been selling products. Now we're moving to services. I, I don't think that's harder marketing. I think it's actually easier. My days back with service businesses, I, I didn't find it hard at all. I think it's much harder to write copy and content for uh, web hosting <laughs> than it is hmm. um, for to to get to do something for someone because we've got the story and we've got the experience and expertise and all that good stuff. Um, but it's again the same thing. I want to do something that's not a me too to everyone else, and that instead of just knocking out a standard agency site, um, you know, I'm trying to do something more interesting. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's going to get me in trouble or not. Sometimes you just don't need to, you know, fix what ain't broken. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that brings up an interesting point that I wanted to bounce off of you because I just um, had an interview with a data journalist who Ben Blatt, um, in the previous episode, the writer files wrote a book uh, where he analyzed um, hundreds of books. Like he, he loaded these books into databases and, and analyzed all the words um, and found like a literary fingerprint for um, a lot of uh, prolific and best-selling authors. There's a fingerprint um, that kind of defines the writer. Do you think after all, everything that you've written um, over the years and kind of all the thoughts and the, and the ideas that you pour into your writing, do you think, do you think that Brian Clark has like a kind of a, uh, a writing fingerprint at this point in your career? And that's a good question. So when I started Copyblogger, I had a very definitive style that wasn't really the way I write. And that sounds odd, right? But 
I was really trying to demonstrate to people a different kind of writing that for that number one was for online to be viewed through screens. You know, yeah. you don't do five sentence paragraphs. I mean, some people do, and I don't understand what they're thinking, but mm-hmm. you know, that's just bad usability. So, you know, and it was very, uh, there was a, a hint of dr- drama to it and a lot of, uh, you know, pop culture references that Gen Xers appreciate. You know, it's funny that right. we, had, we basically attracted people of my age and generation, not necessarily, you know, cause I'm an older Gen Xer, but you know, there was a very deliberate, uh, focus on making references that a certain type of person would appreciate. Uh, and also, you know, dorky literary stuff, you know, like you had to be smart to get copy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that was very deliberate. And so, and there, you know, there was a lot of one sentence paragraphs, you know, just, I was demonstrating a style of writing more than my natural way to write. So people like John Morrow and, uh, Derek Halpern both will candidly say, I just mimicked how you write. Like I taught myself how to write like that. And I'm like, that's interesting. Cause that's not really how I write. So when you read something I'll write now, even on copy blogger, you know, you'll still see that I stick to like two sentences per paragraph, but I'm more of an academic dork at, at heart. Right. I mean, I'd, I'd probably <laughs> go way more intellectual than anyone would want to read. So I have to temper that, but that's my more, that's more my style. So I think people on the outside would say early copy blogger, that's how Brian Clark writes. Uh, and it's even been imitated that way. But, you know, you can become any style you want, I guess, is the point I'm making. And a lot of times it depends on the audience more than it depends on what you prefer. For sure. And going back to um, drama and screenwriting, it's hard to insinuate a style on like a, a film script, for instance. Um because you're really trying to convey something visual. Um, yeah, so. the, the story itself or the information itself, I think, drives the presentation of the material. That's another thing I'm obsessive about. How does it look on the web page, right? Like, you know, knowing where the line break should be in a headline, or I, I'm yeah. just obsessive about how the information presents visually. Because it's so easy to lose people, as we all know, uh, when you're writing in an online medium or now on your iPhone, <laughs> right. you know, um, people give you just barely enough of a chance to see if they're going to stick with you. So I think every little thing counts that way. Um, but, you know, when it when you look when you boil it down over the last 10 years, I think that people can generally recognize that it's me writing if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. But there's a lot, a lot more to it probably, um, intertextually regarding, you know, kind of everything that you've learned and all of these, um, things that you teach daily or have taught, uh, a copy blogger that, you know, go back to kind of the medium is the message, you know, I mean, there's not, you know, I mean, just going back to the hero's journey. Um, it's not really about, you know, at least from a, an effective content marketing standpoint. It's not really about you, the writer, right? Yeah. And, and that's, there's some great writers in the world who really, you know, they do want to be lauded and loved for whatever 
pops out of their pen, you know, and, and that's right. art. Right. And I don't make art, do it, you know, but if it, if it, if it connects with an audience in some sense, you got lucky. I mean, is that fair to say? I mean, what you felt like saying resonated with other people and that's an amazing feeling. And even when you're trying, it's still an amazing feeling <laughs> when you connect. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, since I got so early into, uh, content marketing in the, you know, in the late nineties, it was always about the audience, you know? So uh, that's the way I'm wired. So, I mean, I'm a big proponent of what we, we say, put some art in your marketing. Uh, but I don't go so far as to consider myself an artist necessarily. And, and I'm not driven to just create something for the hell of it because I feel a certain emotion. I maybe, you know, little too INTJ, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As many, many writers are, but, uh, all right. Well, you know, maybe for, for listeners who are tuning in to hear kind of, um, you know, how Brian Clark writes, obviously, um, do you have some organizational hacks or anything that you can, um, you know, any wisdom that you can pass down to like maybe even a younger generation of, um, content marketers and copywriters, um, just on kind of how to, how to, beat procrastination, how to dig in and get the words onto the page. Yeah. And that's a tough one. Um, I think going back, read a lot, read books. Don't just read online. In fact, reading books is the way to come up with ideas that appear fascinatingly original because you're not just repeating what everyone else and whatever your field is, is saying, you got to get outside of that. So yeah, read books that are pertinent to your industry, but also read fiction and, you know, watch a lot of movies and just get, get expose yourself to story as much as you can. Um, that's where a, a lot, I think for me, procrastination means I don't know what to write or I don't know how to write yet what I'm going to write. So I just put it off. And I continue to think about it. And I know a lot of writers are different. They go to the page and start banging out some garbage, you know, that eventually becomes something great. Uh, I tend not to even put digital ink on the paper <laughs> until I've got some good idea. Uh, and then it evolves through editing, which, of course, we know is where the real writing happens. Hmm. The other thing I would say is uh, you do you are exposed to a lot of information and ideas online and you have to find an efficient way to capture and collect uh, various ideas. And for me, uh, Evernote was a game changer for me. You know, once we got into the smartphone era and, uh, and you have apps and, and whatnot, uh, Evernote has been a, a blessing because I have all my different notebooks for all my different projects. And, you know, if I'm standing in, online at the bank and I'm looking at my phone instead of going to you know, Twitter or Facebook, I, I go to my RSS feeds and just scroll through and see if I catch anything interesting. Find, you know, especially good for curation for further and unemployable, but just general ideas. Sometimes there is something that someone will write and have a perspective that you're like, oh, I can, I can work with that or uh, I disagree with that or um, yes, but, you know, kind of situations. Hmm. 
and and that for me, it, it's it all comes down to where's the kernel of inspiration, the nugget of information that gets you to start formulating in your head what this piece is going to be. Is it going to be a video script? Is it going to be, uh, you know, uh, an article or a blog post? Is it going even a podcast episode? You know, you've got to outline generally what you're going to talk about or you're going to come across rather poorly. So for, for me, the, the way to beat procrastination is first to have an idea and then to have a well-formed idea where you know what you're going to do and therefore it becomes more difficult to go do something else, right? Now, if you don't have, if that doesn't get you going, then I guess we have to start asking, do you really want to write? And I know that sounds harsh, but I don't, you know, I think it's hard to write, but I love having written Right. I think there's more than one writer who has said that. Uh, I don't remember who made the original quote, but that is exactly how I feel. Like you feel exhilarated after you've written something useful or good. You know, I I felt exhilarated even when I write something that other people don't like. I'm like, ah, what do they know? (laughs) 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 You know, so it's not just the victory with the audience. It's like I'm proud of that. You know, it almost doesn't matter if anyone else likes it. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's talk about creativity a little bit. I mean, I feel like so much of, um, what you do and, and entrepreneurship in general kind of requires, um, I don't, I don't know if it's a different, um, part of your brain or a different type of creativity, but maybe you could just kind of define creativity yourself and, and kind of how you see, how you see it from your perspective. I am a big proponent of, you know, uh, creativity is the intersection of ideas that are already out there. And this goes back to what I just talked about, uh, about, you know, collecting ideas, going outside, uh, exposing yourself, uh, to different things. Um, so, you know, of course, Austin Cleon would agree with this. Uh, yes. You know, um, and, and he, really is just tracing a, a line of of thought on creativity that dates back to, you know, serious artists, notably Picasso, right? Uh, good artist copy, great artist steal. And, and what he means by that is when you steal an idea, you make it your own. It's not plagiarism. You know, the, the copying is closer to plagiarism than, than stealing is. Stealing is when you take an idea – and it either intersects with something you already know or it intersects with something else you discover and then it becomes something new. But I, I don't believe that creativity comes uh, simply from within by staring out the window. It's an exposure <laughs> to new ideas and, and having the ability to view those ideas with a perspective of that's like this instead of the way we're trained as children which is to put everything in its own little box. I mean, think outside the box is such a cliche, but it makes sense because we are trained and socialized to put everything in its little category. You know, Uh, I'm thinking of music when, you know, music hipsters get in these violent arguments because they're trying to define what genre or category something's in. I'm like, really, you need to stop that (laughs) because they're both right. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) You know, but uh, but that I think is a liability. I think great musicians uh, are constantly, obviously, the Stones, 
uh, and Elvis uh, were inspired by by black musicians in, in the United States, you know, uh, which has its own you know set of issues. While the Beatles were inspired uh, in their later days more by Eastern um, music and influences, right? So yeah. these are our greatest rock and roll musicians ever, and they had their greatest breakthroughs and accomplishments and work product by being influenced by ideas uh, that were new to them and that weren't mainstream. So, and again, it, it can cut both ways. Are you, are you actually stealing or are you creating something new? I, I don't think anyone could look at the Rolling Stones or even Led Zeppelin who did the same thing and say that body of work is invalidated because of their influence by blues musicians. So I think the musicians are less likely to think inside the box, but music critics and fans are always trying to ca- character, uh, categorize everything. I guess that was yeah. my point. And, and you've got, I, I've always been good at seeing how things are alike instead of how they're different. And that is what I think makes creativity work. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I will point at um, your interview with Austin Kleon on Unemployable, which is a great one. Um, yeah, that was a good one. Mr. Cleon was also on this show. Um, so, uh, and he did a, uh, a very long episode, which I l- just, just, Austin is a talker. He's I mean, great. I could have just hit record and said nothing. <laughs> right. <you know? laughs> I got to have him back on. When I recorded, when I interviewed Henry Rollins twice, I'm like, just throw something out there and step back. Henry's going to talk for a while. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. And it's so great to listen to to uh rollins ramble the rollins ramble yep i think that's it um going back to music uh just for a beat um did you read recently uh, there was an article and i can't remember the the origin of it about um why all music sounds the same um in this day and age and it goes back to uh, a process um where yeah music producers this. yeah where music producers and i'll find the link to it i'll drop it in the show notes um, have begun to automate all these things. And that's why uh, it's and not also, surprising. It's it, not surprising. And even anymore. before then, you have these super producers who know how to write a hit, right? And to a certain degree, it's formulaic. Um, yeah. and, and I don't know for sure, but I don't think that's the way music was created in the 60s and the 70s, even the 80s, you know, because what, like new wave and alternative music started coming up out of punk uh, that was not trying to sound like anything else. And everyone was like, oh, I like that. And then, of course, hip hop came along and that didn't sound like anything else. And that's really the end of it. Right. Again, <laughs> right. Generation X is the greatest generation ever. But no one gives us any credit. All they talk about are millennials <laughs> and boomers. We're the, the little forgotten generation that could. But we gave you alternative grunge and hip hop. So enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, yeah, so many, so many great, great uh, albums, uh, you know, have mistakes uh, in them that you wouldn't notice necessarily because you. I saw this great quote by uh, Jimi Hendrix that said, "I was copied so much that I heard them repeat my mistakes, like they were playing (laughs) his mistakes as the way it was supposed to be played." And Jimmy's listening to it, going, "No, I screwed up there. What are you doing?" Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I could keep here all afternoon, but I won't. So we'll move on to um, a couple more questions. You know, I mean, we study the greats, and and you have uh, shared a lot of great 
resources and, and um, titles with me. Do you have any any um, writing titles that you want to just p- kind of put out for listeners? Um, books that 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 they should read, or books that you're loving right now, or all of the above. You know, when it comes to writing books, and I think I admitted this when Sonia Simone did a you know roundup of favorite writing books that I, you know, like there's On Writing by Stephen King and uh, Anne Lamont, you know, I, I've never, I have some of those books, but I, I never could bring myself to read them. But right. like I did say, I've read every book you can find on screenwriting. I've taken every, you know, read every book and taken as many courses as possible on copywriting. So I'm very, I'm very driven by uh, narrative uh, and action, you know, and I, and again, I think I'm a very pragmatic writer, so that may be, um, and also, uh, I don't formally know the rules of grammar, which my wife can attest to. <laughs> um, but if I write, I know what they are, it, you know, and I learned that because I learned through reading, I could never process the rules. They just seem silly to me. Uh, but I, when you read enough, you understand Oh, that's proper. And then here's where uh, the author broke convention, but it was done on purpose and for a reason, you know. Uh, and I think that's a very important thing to to understand. Know when you're making uh, your break, you're fracturing a grammar rule, but do it for a reason, and you know, and you can get some good conversational writing out. So, you know, as, from a business standpoint, you know, I think studying copywriting is the most important thing you can do because it makes you focus on them. And, and therefore I, I consider it also a great business lesson that a lot of people could learn. Um, but you know, I, I really go back to, to, to screenwriting because you're trying to write words that will eventually show instead of tell. And, and we all know that's probably the greatest writing advice there is uh, show, don't tell. And, uh, I think that helped to create uh, a visual experience that that plays inside someone's head, even though there's words on the page. Have you ever been called the digital Claude C. Hopkins? I'm just kidding. No, (laughs) I'm going for digital Ogilvy, but no one's willing to throw that out there yet. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, before we wrap up here, uh, a couple of fun ones for you. If you could choose any author from any era for an all expense paid uh, dinner to your favorite place uh, in the world, who would you who would you take, and where would you take them? Well, I remember when we did a version of this, the the written writer file interview. It's been a while now. Oh, wow! I should mention that you were the inaugural guest. You were oh, was the I? number I didn't one. Remember. Okay. Yes. So now, I will. We got a lot of links in this episode. <laughs> um, but I believe I said William Gibson at that time. Um, who, you know, coined the term cyberspace. But I mean, William Gibson uh, should not in any way be pigeonholed as a sci-fi writer. I mean, even though he basically started the cyberpunk genre and I mean, you know, he's had some classic trilogies and now he, and then he went into the present time um, with pattern recognition and spook country and those books. And now he's going into the far future, but He's a literary stylistic writer of substance. Uh, so no mistaking that. 
Um, but see, I think social media has ruined things because I don't really <laughs> like him anymore. You know, I mean, he's really snotty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're talking about his Twitter, his Twitter yeah, feed. You know, and I, yeah. I followed him on Twitter and he, you know, obviously, uh, on the liberal side of politics, which, uh, he was always pointing out interesting things, but you just got this vibe that he's, he's kind of arrogant. So I don't know that I'd want to go to dinner with him anymore. <laughs> interesting. This is only a recent, uh, development, uh, in my fantasy life. You know, I'm sitting here mulling over whether <laughs> I would actually want to have dinner with William Gibson in a fantasy scenario. Like this is a real thing. <laughs> Sorry, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, yeah. It's interesting to hear, uh, William Gibson, speak um as he gets older and how like he's he's incredibly smart right i mean he's like just just this just incredible intellect um there's this there's an interview that he and doug copeland did together uh douglas douglas copeland uh, obviously the author of generation x yeah Um, i might like to have dinner with him he's a he's an awesome guy and he did name our generation after (laughs) a, a punk band that's right. Billy Idols. So that's right. Um, he's kind of the opposite. So hearing those two guys talk to you on the same stage, uh, Doug Copeland's like, you know, he's also very intellectual, but like in a super laid back and like right <laughs> easy like. See, and that that's more my speed, right? You know, I mean, I almost feel like Gibson's trying too hard, but maybe that's just him. You know, he's not trying at all. He has an impressive vocabulary. He has an incredible way of arranging his words, and he just sounds like this guy is the smartest guy in the world. And I think they're, that's not false. I mean, he is a very intelligent man. You know, I just, I like people who are a little, uh, they demonstrate their intelligence through the work. And then otherwise they're like a guy you could have a beer with. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. All right. I, I didn't ask you if you have a best love quote, but do you have a quote like hanging over your desk anywhere that's like just etched into your, into your mind's eye? Yeah, my favorite quote is from Einstein. Uh, it's not that I'm so smart. It's just I stay with the problem longer. And I think there's a life lesson of I don't care what your IQ is or, or how talented you are. If you don't sit down, do the work and stick with it, you're just going to be another smart person sitting on the couch complaining that, you know, about what you could have done. So that's my favorite quote. And I think it applies to everyone, but writers, especially, you know, because it's not enough to have that idea if it doesn't get out there one way or another in the world. And again, I understand it's sometimes it's painfully difficult to get it out there the way you want it. Uh, But I think that's your obligation. That's what you're going to do as a writer. I think that's um, some fantastic advice to start to wrap up here with um did you want to did you want to throw any other uh um advice out to your fellow scribes about how to just keep going and keep the faith so what's the other one my other favorite quote hemingway to f scott fitzgerald in early 1900s he said i write about one page of masterpiece to 99 pages of shit i try to throw the shit in the wastebasket <laughs> Perfect. Um, I think that is a wrap. And uh, of course, I will link to Copy Blogger um, as well as your Twitter, uh, Unemployable Further. Is there anywhere else we want to point listeners to connect with you out there? I think that's plenty. I mean, you know, just glad to uh, be on the show and 
I guess I guess we should link to that original uh, inaugural writer files oh, yeah, written yeah. interview because I got it I'm right completely here. Completely snarky and <laughs> it's perfect. I don't, I don't say anything meaningful in the whole thing. So it's <laughs> no. um, yeah, that was that was awesome. Uh, the very first one, and there there is a picture um, of Brian's desk with uh, replete with a a Miss Pac Man. Do you still have the Miss Pac Man? It's actually the hybrid Miss Pac-Man Galaga, and yeah, it's out of sight now from my desk, but <laughs> it's over in the corner down there. <laughs> yeah, put it a little ways away so you don't, yeah. you're not always visiting with it, I'm sure. Brian, thank you so much. Uh, it has been a pleasure, as always. I do um, blame you mostly for, for the existence of this show. I should uh, probably blame, blame, uh, blame Tony and uh, others, but I, I'll just stop it there. I think it's Robert Bruce's fault. Actually. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, the existence of this show is a lot of people's fault, but um, <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. And, and again, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. Best of luck with all your projects and please come back again. Thank you, Kelton. Thanks so much for joining us for this half of a tour of the writer's process. If you enjoy the writer files, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. And for more episodes or just to leave a comment or a question, you can always drop by writerfiles.fm and chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.